You're about to get smarter in just a few minutes with Curiosity Daily from Discovery. Time flies when you're learning super cool stuff. I'm Nate. And I'm Callie. If you're dropping in for the first time, welcome to Curiosity, where we aim to blow your mind by helping you to grow your mind. If you're a loyal listener, welcome back. Today, you'll learn about a massively mysterious volcanic explosion that literally sent shockwaves around the world. How salty batteries are set to sweeten the competition in the energy storage industry. And how scientists have no idea why animals keep evolving into crabs. Without further ado, let's satisfy some curiosity. Hey Nate, you remember that science experiment in grade school where we created a mini volcanic eruption? Definitely. Make a little mound with clay, drop in some baking soda, pour in the vinegar, and boom, watch that sucker rip. I liked to add red food dye to make it a little more menacing. Well, I always had a problem with that experiment. Why? It's so simple. No, that's, that's not what I mean. My problem is that it doesn't give us an accurate idea of the tremendous power of a volcano. For example, there was a giant eruption in January of this year that makes most volcanoes look like that grade school experiment. How gigantic are we talking? The blast was the loudest thing to happen on Earth in over 100 years. People heard it 6,000 miles away. And the cloud of ash rose 34 miles into the sky, which is about five times the height that most airplanes fly. Oh, I, I remember hearing about this. It happened in Tonga. But where exactly is that? It's about a couple thousand miles east of Australia. It's in the middle of the South Pacific Ocean. Tonga is actually a bunch of small islands and 100,000 people live there. It is also home to a volcano named Hunga Tonga Hunga Hayapai. But this isn't your typical volcano. It's not a mountain on land. No, this is a mountain on the ocean floor. It's technically called the submarine volcano because pretty much all 6,500 feet of it is underwater, with the exception of two portions rising above the waves. These form the islands known as Hunga Tonga and Hunga Hayapai. So they just combine the names of those islands for the volcano. Efficient. On the morning of January 14th, 2022, local Tongans woke up to see an unusual tower of ash rising from the ocean. And then it got more violent. All that ash interacted with the atmosphere and hundreds of lightning strikes hit the land and ocean. It was very dramatic. But this was just the start. The next day... <laughs> the Tongans were rocked by that insane explosion. Right next to them, the volcano unleashed a fury that was 500 times more powerful than a nuclear bomb. The ground shook beneath their feet. Then they saw a huge shockwave traveling at 600 miles per hour a speed that is smack dab in between a commercial jet and the speed of sound. It traveled around the Earth three times and messed with the atmospheric pressure on the other side of the world. Scientists had never seen this happen before. And then the Tongans had to run for higher ground away from the tsunamis crashing into their islands. These tsunamis were even spotted as far away as Japan, the United States, and the Caribbean Sea. And while all of this was happening, volcanic ash covered their entire world. It wreaked havoc on farms, businesses, water supplies, roads, and communication systems. Jeez, that is terrifying. But I'm struggling with something, Callie. If most of this volcano is below the ocean surface, how did it create so much chaos above sea level? Great question. Deep water volcano blasts don't really break through the ocean surface like this. That's because the huge weight of the ocean's water is usually enough to stop that from happening. But this one's different. So researchers knew they had to dig in and figure out what was going on. They first found out that the volcanic eruptions were most likely made of gas. So this made them think that the gas came from the magma deep inside. This likely caused the volcano to expand and crack near the top. Now, these cracks were just a few hundred feet below the ocean's surface. 
When ocean water rushed in through these cracks and came into contact with the molten hot magma, the water heated up crazy fast and formed steam, which expanded quickly. And when giant amounts of magma interact with millions of gallons of seawater, it creates a ton of steam and pressure that has nowhere to go but up. Kind of like when you shake up a bottle of soda and then suddenly remove the cap. Exactly. Researchers think this was the trigger and fuel of Tonga's volcanic bomb. The top shattered, and since it was only a few hundred feet below the surface... There wasn't enough weight from the ocean water to contain the eruption. Oh, boy. Oh, boy is right. There's so much we don't yet understand about this earth-shaking blast. Like, were the tsunamis caused by the volcano collapsing underwater? Experts still need to do some detective work above and below the ocean surface to find out. But we do know two things. The Tongan people are still working to clean up their island and get important systems back online. And the eruption of Hunga Tonga Hunga Hayapai has scientists rethinking everything about submarine volcanoes to protect the millions of people who live near them. That is a remarkable amount of power. Classic Mother Nature. So I was watching TV the other day, and you know what catches a bad rap and kind of doesn't deserve it? Uh, Anne Hathaway. <laughs> no, I was watching a cooking show, and I'm actually talking about salt. More specifically, what salt is made of, sodium. I know if we eat too much of it, it's unhealthy. And if we eat too little of it, also unhealthy. So that bad reputation isn't really fair. Sodium literally has hundreds, if not thousands, of scientific applications. Oh, for sure. I'm a very DIY type of gal, so I know that sodium can be used to unclog drains and clean all sorts of stuff. I mean, toss them onto a grease fire and bam, no more fire. And don't forget about those salt trucks that fling sodium everywhere in the winter to keep roads safe. Today, it sits proudly on the periodic table of elements, has the symbol Na, and is the sixth most abundant element on Earth. I mean, the oceans are full of it. Because of this, sodium is like Zendaya. It's everywhere, from makeup to medicine to metal production. But there is one incredible use most people don't know about. Sodium, the stuff of simple table salt, can revolutionize the way billions of people store and use energy, which means big things for safety, transportation, and the giant elephant in the room, climate change. I think you're right. Sodium's bad reputation is a grave injustice. Well, don't worry, because her rebrand might be just around the corner, and it's very likely going to be battery-powered. So we all know what batteries are and how to use them. Uh, yeah. Step one, you buy them. Step two, put them in the TV remote. Step three, the couch monster eats the remote and you never see it again. <laughs> that sounds like a personal problem, Callie. But here's a super quick explanation of how batteries work. Most of them function in the same way. They store electrical energy in the form of chemical energy, which is then converted into electricity. And batteries are pretty much made up of the same components. There's a cathode, which is the side with the plus sign. Then there's the anode, the side with the negative sign. And inside, there's an electrolyte, which can be a liquid, a powder, or something solid. When the two ends of the battery are connected by something like a wire, it triggers two things. Charged molecules called ions flow through the electrolyte, and electrons flow through the external wire. Then, ta-da, let there be light. And if you want to recharge a battery, you just basically reverse this whole process. But what we're focusing on here are those little charged ions, because they carry the electrons that create the electricity we all need. And what material those ions come from is literally a multi-billion dollar question. So a battle is brewing in the battery industry. A fight for light, some might say. A shocking struggle. A war of ionic proportions. <laughs> well, you should uh, consider being a boxing promoter. 
Uh, nah, I'm no good with conflict. But tell me about our heavyweights in the ring. In our first corner, we have the king of ions today, the reigning champion, Lithium. In 1991, Sony put these types of rechargeable batteries in their handheld video cameras, and lithium-ion took off from there. Today, these batteries are in everything, from cell phones to laptops to electric cars. They exploded onto the scenes for a few reasons. They are light, portable, have good capacity, can be recharged hundreds of times, and are just super-efficient. They've been so important to civilization that three scientists won the 2019 Nobel Prize in Chemistry for their work in developing lithium-ion batteries. So that's our Goliath. Now tell me about David. Standing in the other corner, our salty underdog, the contender for the title. Welcome back to the story, our superhero, Sodium! That's right, sodium-ion batteries are also a thing, and they work just like lithium-ion. In fact, these elements are neighbors on the periodic table and are both alkali metals. Then why haven't we heard about sodium-ion batteries? Well, both types of batteries were developed in the 1970s and 80s. For a while, sodium-ion batteries were considered the future of energy. But because sodium is heavier, those batteries were larger and couldn't pack as big a punch. And we all know everyone wants smartwatches and tiny phones, so lithium became the gold standard in batteries. But here's the thing. Lithium is only found in a few places on Earth, and mining it is horrible for the environment. So experts think that the cost of lithium is about to skyrocket. So it sounds like superhero sodium is poised for a huge comeback. Its biggest advantage is that it's everywhere on Earth, and if it's easier to get, it's better for the environment, and the batteries should cost less to make. A bunch of companies like Contemporary Amperex Technology Limited in China are currently doing research and development to make sodium-ion batteries lighter and more powerful. If all those things happen, and they very well could, they'll be put into cell phones, electric cars, and used to store renewable energy like wind and solar, which we desperately need. What a fight for the ages. Forget Rocky, there should be movies about sodium. I can't wait to see what happens next in this epic battle. Have you ever noticed that crabs have the best names in the entire animal kingdom? Oh my gosh, yes. There's king crab, dungeness crab, spider crab, which look like aliens. Google them. They will haunt your dreams. Then you got fiddler crabs who are in a band with rock crabs. You should never trust a robber crab. There are shy little hermit crabs. And finally, we could all use a supportive friend like the captain of the crustacean cheerleading team, pom-pom crab. You, uh, you know a lot about crabs, huh? Oh, yeah. Big crab guy over here. They're so fascinating. First of all, there are over 6,000 species of them on Earth. Some are so fast that when you measure their speed in body lengths per second, they are faster than cheetahs. And the pinching force of a coconut crab's claw is known to be as powerful as a lion's bite. One went viral for being the size of a trash can. The word crabby should be a compliment moving forward. That's what I'm saying. They are amazing. They've been on Earth for literally hundreds of millions of years. So you know these ancient beings have a story to tell. Have you got one for us? You bet I do. And this story has to do with evolution. You know, Darwin's theory that all species of plants and animals gradually adapt over time. But this isn't about evolution in the normal sense. 
This is about a super unusual evolutionary phenomenon, so unusual that scientists had to invent a word to describe it. But before I tell you that word, let's discuss convergent evolution. Basically, what this is, is that within all of evolution, there have been times when very different types of species developed very similar features, even though they don't have a common ancestor. A perfect example is dolphins and fish. Dolphins are mammals, like us, and fish are, well, fish. But both of them have fins that help them navigate their environment, the water. Or like bumblebees and blue jays. One is an insect and the other is a bird, yet they both have wings. Chalk that up to convergent evolution. So now that we understand that, let me introduce you to the word of the day, carcinization. This is where crabs come back into our story. Carcinization is a super interesting version of convergent evolution. It describes a phenomenon where the other decapod crustaceans steal the identity of a crab over time. And it's happened at least five times that we know of. Here's an example. Today, king crabs have all the iconic traits of crab, especially a natural shell on top that protects their exposed abdomen underneath but it wasn't always like this. They are descendants of hermit crabs who don't naturally create their own shell. So hermit crabs aren't really crabs. Uh, as a self-proclaimed crab guy, I hate to admit I don't know this, but I'm confused. Why is a hermit crab called a crab if it technically isn't one? That's because not all crabs are crabs. They are categorized into two groups. There's Brachyura, which are considered true crabs, and Onomura, which are considered false crabs. Both hermit and king crab belong to the Onomura group, and most crustaceans that have gone through carcinization are Onomurans. So if I order king crab for dinner at a restaurant, I shouldn't be paying crab prices. I mean, that's right, because you ordered a false crab, but I doubt the restaurant knows this. Ah, so why does carcinization keep happening? Well, scientists and experts don't actually know for sure. Some think it could have something to do with their environment, or it could be for survival. You know, it's harder for predators to get to the crab's fleshy tum-tum when there's a hard shell on top of it. We also don't know how many times this has happened. Some species may only be somewhat carcinized or just halfway there, like the squat lobster, which is kind of like a half-lobster, half-crab hybrid. Either way, the leading theory is that there is some kind of evolutionary advantage to carcinization. So researchers are getting help from the National Science Foundation in the form of grants to figure out why the heck this keeps happening. Okay, good. This crustacean conspiracy must be cracked. Let's recap what we learned today to wrap up. Starting with, in January of this year, a submarine volcano in the island nation of Tonga erupted with a fury 500 times more powerful than a nuclear bomb. Scientists are scrambling to understand what was behind this earth-shaking explosion. Sodium ion batteries are on the verge of a comeback. With developments in technology and changes in the marketplace, they are poised to knock lithium ion off its throne. This has huge implications for the future of transportation and climate change. For some unknown reason, decapod crustaceans keep evolving into crabs. It's called carcinization, and we have no idea why this identity theft keeps happening. Evolutionary scientists are trying to get to the bottom of it as we speak. Curiosity Daily is produced by Wheelhouse DNA for Discovery. You can follow our show wherever you get your podcasts, and we would love it if you could take a second to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts.